Welcome to the Word of Truth. It is uh, 12, 11, no, I'm sorry, 12, 20, 2020. We're continuing where we left off in our service, and we will have the thought of the week in prayer. Thought of the week. When a person is working hard for something they want, they develop a sense of pride and accomplishment. Then they feel a sense of entitlement because they think they have labor and now earned it. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Take it from Romans chapter, chapter 4, verse 4. When someone works, an obligation is created. That says that you should be paid or rewarded for your efforts is proper. If you work, you should be paid. But that is not great. Salvation is a gift. Given in grace, and God does not give this gift based on your merit or effort. When that person realized they are working for something that is free, there was a strong resistance that was saved that was saved that all their works are for nothing. All that time that praying, giving, Bible study, and all the other religious activities done to secure a home with God is simply a huge waste of time. However, for the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Trusting God excludes work. And conversely, work excludes trusting God. Also notice the function of the faith that saves or brings righteousness is expressed in trusting God. The Bible says that salvation is by grace, a free gift, and not by all effort. The person has ignored that and pursued salvation on their own terms. Whenever we ignore God's way and as if on our way, we are simply arrogant. Well, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Take it from Romans chapter 3, verse 2. Please do not walk away from these principles of grace. If you do, you will never experience God's salvation and his surpassing grace blessing. Embrace salvation by grace and know that anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In the Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Only then will you be able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Well, thanks be to God that salvation is a free gift. And by hearing the gospel, only those who hear it and believe that what God did for them can bring forth a great salvation. Being arrogant means that, well, I'm going to do so for God. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to hear about winning to heaven. I know God will, he will, he will believe me when I do this. But that's not God's design. That's human effort's design. That's man's design. 
God did something by sinning forth his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have life, and have it, they shall, they shall receive eternal life. Christ did all the work on the cross when God imputed our sins upon him, and for that time, God the Father judged Christ, and the work was completed at the cross. At that time, salvation is there, is free, when a person believes that. If a person don't believe that, the wrath of God will remain on itself. So it is by God's grace, his efforts that he's given us, a precious gift, that only of hope everyone will receive it, but we know only a few will. Some will doubt it and some will question that. So like the scripture says, it is not our way, it's God's way. So that's what I get from the thought of the week. So I describe my servant like to hear prayer given to us by the way. Thank you very much, Dave. Of course, I will be praying for our families, immediate and extended families. Um, are there any special requests on top of that? All right. Well, I do have some notes left over from last week. Not really sure what the uh, application is, but um, surely God knows. And let's let's uh, bow our heads before Him in prayer. Dear Father in heaven and in our hearts, we thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given us. Not only do we have salvation by grace, but we have access to your deep things through the spirit you have freely given us and let us take advantage of that opportunity that we have at this time in the prayer i'd like to offer up um, the, the names of those who are suffering whether it be physically health-wise financially whatever the case might be you know who and what is on our hearts and we ask you with thanksgiving that you would um, you would hear our prayer. But the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and we are made righteous through Christ. I pray for Fred's daughter, Delsonda, um, and for Tanya for continued recovery and all other COVID-19 victims, which is an astounding growing number not only in this country, but around the world. Um, I pray also that the Word of Truth Christian Church and the Universal Church, which is the body of Christ, would be attentive to the opportunities that we have to grow in you, to receive your grace. For we are the church. So let us worship him in spirit and in truth. May we not grieve the Holy Spirit, but learn from him as he guides us into all truth. For your word is truth, Father. Sanctify us for whom Christ prayed. And I also pray for, along those lines, for our wisdom, our enlightenment, our proper motivation to not only grasp the deep things of God, but that we would also love one another, speaking the truth in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of truth, and the momentum of the Spirit of truth in our lives. Let us encourage each other as we take this walk with the Spirit and let us fellowship with God and each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Dwight and Dave. Appreciate that. Amen. We are. Amen. Uh, we're going to continue where we left off, and I think we're right at John chapter 15 and verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. So you should have notes, and in your notes, we will, we will begin. Many are just drifting in the world today. They don't really know where they belong or where they fit in. As a result, they get caught up in many pursuits trying to find what, is, what fits best. As a result, many are tired and have become jaded about life. Believers in Christ are unfortunately in the same boat. They are not able to find that pursuit which that brings them joy, uh, the joy God says they should have. The Christian way of life eludes them, and they feel bored, and all their energy is gone. Fortunately, God does have a plan. That plan will bring them love, hope, and joy and restore their zest for a purpose. They will find that which truly makes them feel alive to God. The Apostle John found that very thing, and he writes, quote, The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And that's in 1 John 1, 4. I think it's 3 and 4. So, to note, um, that is... What I find, a lot of, in the spiritual life, there is a lot of discontentment. Uh, people are not satisfied. And part of the reasoning is, is that we're not availing of ourselves, ourselves of what God has for us. That is his plan. I think built in the plan, there's love, there's joy, there's hope. And all of those things give give that zest for life. So we're going to look at, this is a short verse, but I'd say not short in terms of understanding and where we are in the context. So let's see if we can dig in. Uh, it's, you are my friends. So this is the first phrase. And as we saw from the previous verse, there is no greater love than laying down one's life for one's friends. That's verse 13. So not only is Jesus doing this for the church, but this becomes the model of conduct for us as well. So when we say laying down his life, we said it, it not only including Christ going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world, but it also includes the fact that he gave himself. That's really what it's all about. He gave of himself to the Father. 
whatever the father wanted him to do. If the father said, no, don't go to the cross, go to Egypt, Christ would have said, okay, father, I'm going to Egypt. Because Christ was fulfilling the father's plan. So it's more than, okay, I went to the cross, but it's it's about Christ understanding why he was here. John six thirty eight. I, I did not come to do my will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. Christ had that understanding and it, it was easy for him because that was his, uh, that was the, the decision of life that he came to. So John thirteen fifteen says it this way. Uh, when he was dealing with the washing of the disciples' feet, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So that example goes a long way in understanding what he meant in chapter 14 and 15 and 16, as we're going to get to 16 and 17. So that, that example that he set is for us to come to this understanding of love, loving one another, loving the Father, loving Christ. Uh, and we understand now that loving the Father and loving Christ isn't out there just hanging to, you know, as we could choose whatever we want that to mean. We understand what is being imposed upon us, what he's asking of us, um, the new dispensation that is dawning upon us. So it's more than just, okay, we love you because uh, you died for our sins. <laughs> it goes For our understanding, it goes far beyond that, even though it includes that. So yeah, uh, Christ's love for the Father. Christ understanding that his will was to go to the cross. That is what it all boiled down to. So that's the first thought here. That's our model as well. We, we ought to recognize what is upon us and respond properly. So next thought is giving our lives for the Father's purpose is the greater love. And it says greater love is no one than this than one who lays down one's life for his friends. Greater love. There's no greater love. What is that? It's the Father's purpose. That's the greater love. And it is expressed in loving the new plan and loving each other. So when I have verse 12 here, these verses are sandwiched by these two verses. One is uh, John fifteen twelve, which clearly just tells us, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And he's going to go into this illustration about friendship and you know, laying down one's life. But then at the end of it, he's looking at verse 17. This is my command. Same thing. Love each other. So if I were to say that, it would be, uh, this is my point. Let me illustrate it for you. And that's this whole friendship analogy is an illustration of how we should respond as those who have the responsibility of this new age that is upon us. How should we respond to one another? Um, use the example of Christ. Right? Love, as I have abided in my Father's love, now remain in my love. You should remain in my love, and so forth. Yeah, I do hear some background noise. Stand by. Uh, 
just mute him. Yes. So that is the idea behind the love and how we ought to see it. There is clear understanding about, you know, what our conduct should be when we have love for the Father and how we should respond. It's not just, I love the plan. I, I have developed hope around the plan. And not only executing the plan brings me joy. That's how my response, the proper response. It's, first, you've got to learn it. Then you can come to believe it. Then you can come to love it. And it could be your hope. Now, when you turn the corner to hope, and love, that's where you are starting to enter into this place where you can give your life for it. This is something that is about you. It's about who you are now. And then the hope means it drives everything uh, in terms of your expectations for the future. So giving yourself uh, to, to this, it lends itself to what our response will be. Point C, let's move on in our notes. You are my friends, and I just threw in here what philos is. And um, it's, it, it's conditional. Right? It's not just hey, everybody's your friend if they say they're your friend. In this context, you are my friends. It's conditioned on if you do what I command. If you don't do what I command, it doesn't mean you're uh, you're out of uh, my care and my concern over you. But it it is to say that it's exclusive, isn't it? It's conditional. So the disciples were his friends, and they. How do we know that? Because they did what he commanded. And you could you could ask, how do you know that they did it? Well, we're standing on the foundation of that. Uh, the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. That's the foundation of the church. And it would not exist if the apostles did not do what he commanded. We know they were successful. So Ephesians 2.20, I just quoted. But how about Jude 1.3? Let's look at Jude chapter 1, verse 3. There's only one chapter says, Dear friends, although I was e very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. So Jude wanted to have, like John's gospel was dedicated to uh, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe Jude had the same thought. I'd love to write about that. However, he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So what Jude is saying here, is there something here that is more pressing on my mind than salvation? And that is that uh, we come to uh, contend or to fight for, uh, to defend the faith, the body of truth that was entrusted to us. And by the time Jude wrote this, there was a body of truth. There was established foundation of the church already. So Jude is saying, <laughs> we should contend for that. That's what I'm going to have to talk about because there are attacks coming against the church. And he goes into it, if you keep reading down 
into this chapter, you will find where Jude finds uh, those things that he, he feels are uh, attacking the church. And he deals with it. He wants to talk about salvation, but he, he can't because these things are more pressing on his mind. Thank you for writing that, Jude. And obviously, God the Holy Spirit, through, the, uh, through Jude, wrote those things for us. So the disciples did it. They were successful. We can say, yes, thank you, Lord, for providing that clear foundation for us. Because we're standing on that. And whether it be an attack on the church or whether it's the gospel, we have to stand for the body of truth that has been delivered to us through those apostles, prophets, and, and obviously Jesus Christ. Uh, point D, that friendship here is limited to the church age, as we shall see. Why do, why do I say that? Because um, and we didn't get into all these details last week when we, we still get, got verses ahead of us, but notice here's one of the verses. He says, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, what makes uh, this friendship rich and meaningful is the context in which it's found. So if we just found this, I'm calling you a friend and because this is what friends do. And, but this context where Jesus is introducing the church age, he lays down clear guidelines as to what he wants the disciples to do and believe and, and, and he wants them to love and how, that, how they ought to respond to him. It's clearly laid out. I like what it says here. I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father, I made known to you. And that's transparency. And it's very much so uh, in, in 15, in verse 15, if we're going back, hold on. That's the part where it says that uh, everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. But in John 16, we find those words exactly that Jesus had these things from the Father, and that's how we have them, right? And here's the progression of it, 16, 12 through 15. It says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Pretty much the same thing he had been saying in 14, right, when he had introduced this. And he says, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will testify he will tell you what is yet to come he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you and he throws this in in 15 all that belongs to the father is mine that is why i said the spirit will receive from what is what uh, from me what he will make known to you so notice the progression here. The information comes from God the Father. The Holy Spirit is about taking information from Christ and making it known to us, revealing it to us. And then Christ throws in, oh, by the way, everything that I have comes from the Father. That's why I'm telling you how this goes, so you know that this is it's the Father, it's his plan, and Father has put all things on my shoulders, right? So now I have the plan and 
everything you learn from me is about the plan from the Father. So right, we can go back and forwards here and uh, we come to the same thought. It is the Father's eternal purpose. Christ, it is the mind of Christ that the Holy Spirit is making known to us. That's when it says we are being transformed into his image. Really, even though it's the image of Christ, well, who is Christ? Christ is the image of the invisible God. Right? Who is Christ revealing? The Father. So it goes, and now how, no matter how you say it, it comes to that thought. So that I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from the Father, I have made known to you, clearly tells me that he's talking about that process of information flow that we have. And then in our age, guess what? We've also added another layer, not to add more complication to it, but we also now have the pastor-teacher, those who teach the Word. So God, Holy Spirit, not only makes it known to us, in this way, he gives gifts right, to those who are teachers, pastors. And those pastors are used to equip the body for works of service, that the body may be built up, that we all come to unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You know the scripture in Ephesians 4. So there are other methods to, to this, more than, more, should we say, more layers to this, so that we can understand how this information is disseminated. How do we get this information? And and in our analogy of friends here, this is how we are friends. It's not just that we've learned this information, right? Because that'd be one thing. Friend, we said friendship here is limited to the church age, right? And how? Why do we say that? It's because I called you friends, and everything I learned from the Father, I made known to you. How did He do that? Well, when the Spirit comes, that's how He did it. That's how He did it. But don't forget. The whole next part of the next phrase here, if you do what I command. So friends isn't just that you know this information. Friends has to do with your response to it. It's just like the disciples. If you love me, keep my commands. Right? If, you, if you love me, this information is going to be important to you. You understand this information. Your proper response is to obey it, right? to do what this is. And that's how we are to understand. And I also, it reminds me of Romans 8.28. And the first three words there says it this way. And we know that in all things God works for the good uh, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So this whole part about and we know, because that is... In context, and the context here goes back to what we do know, is that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption, the sonship, sonship the redemption of our bodies and such. So we, there are things, we know the plan. He's assuming that we know. And those who know, or are in the know, are also those in this context who love him. So if you put those things together, what you come to understand is there's a response that comes with that love and that knowing. And that response is obedience to God the Father. 
acquiescence to his commands, to the new age that is dawning upon us. We're not going to begin to behave like Israel. Right? If we're more impressed with Israel than we are with the church, then we're missing something here. We're missing the, the, you know, what God the Father's plan is. Right? Even he went to great lengths to not only it comes from the Father and gets, he gives it to the Son, the Son gives it to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives it to us through the pastor teacher. That's, that's unique. Nothing about the Mosaic Law is there. Nothing about, you know, statutes, commandments, and all of those things that were given in the Mosaic Law. It's all something new. So, yeah, we need compliance here. We need people to, to get on board. And so for those who are on board, then God is saying they're friends. They're in this circle of friendship. Now, we could have said it another way. Oh, hey, abide in my love. If you abide in my love and so forth. Or he could have said, abide in me or you can't bear fruit. A branch that does not abide in me, well, it doesn't bear fruit. There's a lot of ways to say this. But each one of those analogies gives us greater understanding about aspects of the relationship that we need. We need this part, especially this part about friendship. Because what is friendship here? Well, it means that uh, not only do I know what this plan ahead is for me, because I've learned it from the spirit of truth, but I love it. I've come to love it, and I want to be obedient toward it. That's important for us. So this last point that I say is, are we Christ's friends? Are we? Now, how can we say that? Because really, he was talking to the disciples. Yes, he was. We have the same opportunity that those who are in the foundation had. It's to come to stand, like Jude says, I want to stand, I want to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to us. I, I, I have a responsibility. I want to be obedient to the, the calling that is on my life. So this is, when we say, are we friends? This is, a friend doesn't just know this information. That means that means we're, we're in the age where it is revealed. But a friend is compliant with it. Right? They want to follow the commands. They recognize that there is a new dispensation. They recognize that, that they're not under the law and that there's this new uh, calling that is over our lives, that we are now identified with the person. I could go on. Identified with the person of Christ. We're seated in heavenly places. We're to keep our mind on heavenly things, on and on. There's a lot that comes with that, that can be part of our response. Not saying that all of a sudden you have this, you don't have it, and the next day you do. This is something we grow into. This is not an overnight experience where it dawns on you, and then in the next morning you wake up with all this information. No, but it, it's a, the first step in this is learning the information that is unique to us. Why did God call us? What's our calling? Learning about it, coming to believe it, that means you've seen enough scriptures, you understand the context of it enough so that you see, hey, this is what God's talking about. I get it. I, I get it. I understand where this is now. You can go right to it. And then trusting in it where you come, it comes to more than faith but hope 
where it becomes the absolute reality for you. Even though it hasn't happened yet, we know that we're sons. The Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. And we the whole thing unfolds as we build the, the cognizance and the reality of what God has called us to. So are we friends? Are we Christ's friends? Well, we can be. We can assume in this analogy that yes we can be it's part of our destiny this analogy could be applied to us you could say yeah i'm i'm a friend of christ yeah he's my friend i don't know how that would fit with social media so don't worry about that part but let's figure out how it fits biblically first and then point number two let's move in so you are my friends if you do what I command. So first thought is since this friendship is based on on our proper response, it cannot be the same as atonement and propitiation for all. So why do I say that? I pointed this out last week to say that there's conditions to this friendship. Well, first you got to be in the church age. Well, everything I received from the Father, I made known to you, etc., etc. You got to you won't even have this information if you're not in the church age. And two, it requires a proper response from you. That not only do you, are you a believer in Christ, because that's the only reason why you can understand what the spirit of truth is teaching. And then your response to it, hey, I'm going to do, I want to be in the spot where God wants me to be. I, I accept the role that he has given me. I'm I want to live out the destiny that God has planned for me from eternity past. Right? So, so there are conditions to this. When I read Romans 5, 8, and 9, there are no conditions to this. It's talking about something else. Right? So it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. So that we're talking about salvation here. You know, we were enemies. We were still sinners when Christ died for us. We weren't, uh, this doesn't make us friends because Christ died for us. We didn't even know we could still be sinners. In fact, we weren't even born yet when Christ died for us. So what does that say? We, we couldn't even talk about being friends or, or anything. All we know is that even before we were born, Adam sinned, and every person in Adam who is uh, a part of who his progeny is, is fallen because of his sin. And that qualifies me as lost. <laughs> I don't know if we qualify ourselves as lost, but... Only lost people can be saved. Right? Or another way to say it, condemnation must precede salvation. That came from theme. I remember that. It's just drilled into my head. And it's true. right? Before you can be uh, experience the good news, you need to see the bad news. What is the bad news first? Then we can understand the good news. There's lots of ways to, to say that. And this is, this is how we see it, right? This is 
It's based on a proper response. Romans 5, 8, 9, yeah, Christ gave his life. Yes, he died for us. All of the sins of the world were imputed to him. But in all of that, it does not mean that you're saved. It, 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 what it means is you have an opportunity to be saved now. And how do you do it? By works, by effort, by trying? No, it's grace. Like it says in 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how we're saved. It's by grace. It's not working hard, trying to impress God that we are somehow more spiritual than the next one. Or Listen, we, we have to come to the understanding of the bad news, embrace that, and then we can begin to see what God's solutions to the problems are. So that's, I just want to make sure, because listen, some commentaries will say, yeah, God died for all, and, but I, without really paying attention to the context here of what is a friend. Christ died for us. It's a very exclusive thing he's telling us. There are conditions. That's why I ask, are we Christ friends? Well, we can be. We can be. So, He's not just talking about just because Christ died for you, as I pointed out. Point B, if you do what I command, if you do it. So what is that to say? It's just like what we've been reading in the context. Uh, John 14, right? If you love me, keep my commands, or you will keep my commands. If we go back to John 14, uh, we'll read a couple of those scriptures. We haven't read them in a while. But guess why we're reading them now? Because these scriptures are the context of what we have to understand now. So John 14, 15, it says, if you keep my commands. And then verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. We can go backwards and we can go forwards. If you love me, keep my commands. If you keep my commands, the ones I've been telling you about, then that's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and will show myself to them. So this is on that day. What day is that? Pentecost. The disciples would, this is a promise that Jesus is giving them. And there were conditions to the promise. If you love me, keep my commands. And then, uh, you know, these things will happen. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It's the same thing. Well, what's his, what has he been teaching? He's been teaching this whole new spiritual dynamic of how the Father is in him, and he's in the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father, when the Father's been in me all this time, and I've been teaching this? And you've got to come not only to believe God, but believe also what I've been telling you. That's important. If you, if you, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Well, conversely, verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's really clear. This is the context, right? Hopefully, these things are understood. We've covered them in detail. So we know what love is and what, his com- what keeping his commands means. It doesn't mean go back to the Mosaic Law and try to keep all the commandments, statutes, ordinances, and all the things that are in the Mosaic Law. It has to do with what he's teaching here, right in context. 
And he builds on that. He's, when the Spirit comes, these things will be made more clear to you. When the Spirit comes, he will t guide you into all truth. i got much more to teach you, but you can't bear it right now. So, that's, that is the idea of do what I command. The disciples did it, as we already pointed out earlier. Point C, what does he command? That we give up our lives. This is essentially what he's saying. This is, we said, keep his commands. Keep his, know the teaching and keep it, right? But what is this, what is he really telling us in this? When you cut through all of this, what is he really saying? And this, I'm going to read a few scriptures that I think exemplify what he means in this area. So John uh, 12, 24 through 26 is the first reference. Uh, hopefully you'll see this. John 12, 24 through 26, Jesus is saying, say it, says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So this is Jesus talking about what happens, what's going to happen with him. Right? He's going to have to die. And through that, it will produce many seeds. And if you think about what happens to us and what happens, excuse me, what he's saying here. And if we plug in the thought of the baptism of the spirit, where we are being conform to the image of his son right that's our predestination this is what god has done this is literally what happens in time right christ is going to die and he's going to produce many seeds how's he going to produce many seeds he's using an agricultural analogy here because that is what happens right if you plant an apple seed that apple seed can grow up to be an apple tree hence there could be many apples that come from that that one seed in the same way out of christ his death his death burial and resurrection comes the church and what do we we are identified this is the baptism of spirit now through his death burial and resurrection right? literally what a perfect agricultural analogy what a perfect one to give because that's what's going to happen He's going to die, and it's going to produce many seeds. And he's saying this needs to happen. Right? This is not something that should happen. It must happen in order for those many seeds to come. Right? So he's he just one seed. Many seeds are coming. Greater things that we will be able to do than what he did. Uh, so we just, and then it goes on, right? Who, and then he turns it to us because really we are like him. So same thing we've been talking. Here it is, verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So that right there, two things. Service, serving him, right, honoring him, right, and all of that is obedience, right? That's following his commands, doing what he says. 
Right? This is how how is this going to happen? Because I'm establishing this foundation called the church. That's how it begins to happen. Another verse, Matthew 10. Let's look at that one. There's a bunch of these in, in the scriptures. So 10, <clears throat> and then we'll look at uh, 34 through 39. 10, 34 says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemy. What does that mean? Verse 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He touches on all those points of life that we see as important. And then finally, he says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's kind of double talk here, right? <laughs> it's not really double talk, but it's... It's like philosophy, right? He who says such and such, well, no, it's not that. He's really telling us the very thing we're talking about, which is we have to we have to give up our lives. If we think we got our life and we live in it, you know what? We have a right to live our lives the way we want to. Everyone here listening to me does. It's your choice. In fact, your eternal destiny is your choice. Nobody's going to take that away from you. The choice to choose what you would for your eternal destiny. You have a right to that choice. God gave you that right when he gave you life. But now that uh, we know the gospel, the responsibility is on us. Christ, not only were you born dead and uh, all of that, but then... Also, the good news is that Christ paid for every sin that you would ever commit. So it's almost like you're standing right there at that tree, just like Adam was. While he made the decision for you back then, that was the bad news. The good news is that Christ put the ball back in your court. Now you get to choose your eternal destiny. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but he have eternal life. Whoever does not, well... It says that he will not see life and the wrath of God will remain on him. The, your eternal destiny is in your hands. Just know that when it comes to salvation. But now also, what also is in your hands is this. Right? Whether you, how you will respond to the Father's eternal purpose. Will you give your life to it or not? That's up to you. That's in your hands. So that's what he's saying. Whoever finds their life will lose it. In other words, you think you got it, right? You, you did it the way you wanted to do it. But then whoever loses his life, not just for anything, but for my sake, for my cause. Right? This is like Christ says, I didn't come here because of my own purposes. I came to do the will of him who sent me. Christ is saying, uh, 
I can I can have my life, sure, but it won't be for what the Father's purposes are. And the same way, if we don't give our lives for Christ's sake, right, then that's really finding it. That's we're losing something. Well, what are we losing? We're giving up our the right to live our lives in this world. Right? You got many pursuits, ambitions, dreams that you think fulfill that right. But Christ is saying, if you let me have that, then you'll find your, you, you really will find your, your life. What do you mean find it? Because that will tie back to your eternal destiny. That's that thing we were talking about earlier, where people are searching for where they fit in in this world. Well, let me just tell you, you don't fit in in this world. And if you seek to find your life, you'll lose it. You won't ever get to it. But if you give it up, right? If you lose your life, in other words, you sacrifice your life for the sake of what the Father's plan is, which is Christ, then you will find it. Find it means you'll not only connect the dots all the way back to eternity past, but he chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That you have been chosen. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is ours. Now your life will have the significance, the meaning, the purpose. Now it will make sense. Now you can have the hope of your calling. You'll understand it. This is, this is where it is. So this is what he's saying here. In this short verse, in this short, pick up your cross, follow me, right? all that. If whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for for my sake, well, then you'll find it, right? This is the, uh, the way Jesus is couching these words. But also in 16, here in 16, Matthew, we're still in Matthew 16. This is the last verse here, 21 through 27. Now, you should know the context of this because this is where Jesus talks about uh, who, what, who do men say that I am? Well, what about you? What do you say? Peter jumps up and says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Christ says, yep, Peter, you got it. That's the right answer. And on this rock, I will build my church. Gates of hell will not overcome it. And so forth and so on, right? But then in verse 21, he continues. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and that on the third day, raised to life. Now, this, this is just like what we were talking about, right? Unless the, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. But if it dies, then... Many seeds, right? This is what Jesus said. He's talking about us. What does Peter say? Jesus is laying out, he already said, on this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about the church. What, does Pe what is Peter's response to this? Get behind me. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that's Jesus' response. <laughs> what is Peter's response? Never, Lord, he said. This shall never 
happen to you. In other words, you shall not fall to the ground and die. Like Jesus told them straight. What did Peter say? No, no, that's not going to happen. Well, this is the Father. Do you know that this is the Father's eternal purpose? That's literally what Jesus was saying here. So then <clears throat> Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in, in, in mind the concerns of God. In other words, the Father's eternal purpose, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, same language, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. To deny yourself is what? The privileges, the prerogatives of life. That's what it means. right? Yes, you have a right to, to life. But to deny yourself, right, to lose your life, right, is and take up your cross. What is a cross? Wow, that's what Christ said. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be beaten and all this stuff. All that, that's horrible. But... That's what you have to do because that's the path I'm going. And he's not saying you got to go to the cross and suffer and pay for the sins of the world. What do we have in common here? Giving up our lives. Christ gave up his life. You give up your life. That's what we have in common. Verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me find it. Same language that we had in the previous verse and same thought of what we really need to have when it comes to this friendship. That's exactly what, what is it essentially what does it mean? How do we respond? He really wants us to give up our lives for this purpose. He wants us to understand what this purpose is, come to love it, it become not only just something we believe, but the very hope of our future, our destiny, and our expectation. He wants us to live that. That's the way we should live in this world. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Well, I won't say that that's a one-shot decision, just like what we said earlier. You don't go to bed one night and wake up the next morning with this new dawn. It's gradual. So just like the, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can know what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's Romans 12. We, that's not going to happen automatically. It's going to happen through a process. But the question becomes, are you in that process? Are you transforming, uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Are you in the process of understanding what it was required of us in order to live a life worthy of the calling you have received? It is this, totally giving yourself to it. So, that's the thought. Point D, and back into our notes, because we could be off somewhere else. Right? Friends have found that pursuit. They have found it. In this context, this is what he's saying. If you're a friend, then, then you know what is required. You've found it, right? That thing, that niche, which is worthy to give 
all of themselves, right? This, right? Because you're not just going to give yourself to, I shouldn't say that, because a lot of people today are giving their lives to, to things that are not really worthy of, you know, of course it's your choice. And, but God is saying his highest priority is the Father's plan. And then he has given that plan over to Jesus. Jesus has given that plan to the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Truth in this regard. And it is his objective to lead and guide us into all truth, that we will also be on the same page as Jesus and the Father. And, and, and this, is, this is what God has called us to. Now, whether we get the understanding of it, this is the full deposit, where we know exactly what it is we're pursuing. Like Paul says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. What is that groaning? That means that we have this uh, confident expectation and hope welling up inside of us. Whether we have that or not, God still called us. He still chose us in him before the creation of the world. But do we know it? Are we his friends? Right? Friends know. Friends are obedient. Friends acquiesce to the Father's plan. That's what's important here. That's what Jesus is saying. So um, that, is, that is the thought. Right? Those are... Friends have found that pursuit, right? And that is worthy to give all of themselves. Not some, but all. And they see and understand the Father's plan as their living hope or the reality, not just some nice scriptures. <laughs> that's nice. People are like, yeah, that's a nice scripture. Well, did you see what that scripture said? Did you read it? How did you understand what that said? Allow the spirit of truth to help us here. Right? So that's important. Point E. I am aware of only two others having this distinction. And when we say this distinction, I'm talking about where God calls them friend. Right? This is where there's only two others who have that distinction. Hold on. And that is uh, Moses and Abraham. They are called friends of God. Now, don't don't find somebody to say, well, God also called uh, Abinadab a friend, right? I'm talking, well, that's good. We'll add them to the list, okay? <laughs> but I find two, Moses and Abraham. They're called friends of God. Now, let's look at a couple of scriptures because really, uh, uh, let's just see what how it un they understood this back in Exodus 33. And verse 11 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. In other words, Joshua didn't go up to the mountain like Moses did. So think about it. He speaks to them face to face. That now, certainly, the communication that we have from God, if, any was, if there was any face-to-face, -face, this is more than that. This is literally God inside of us. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will be in you forever. It's a part of who we are. 
The Spirit of Truth is God. God, the Holy Spirit, is part of who we are now. That can't be. There can't be any more face to face with God than that. And obviously, the information that we have was hidden from Israel. But notice Deuteronomy five four. I want to turn to that because this face to face, we should know what that means. And and there's lots of scriptures I could have used, but I'm just throwing these out here. Five four. The Lord spoke to you face to face. What does he mean? Out of the fire on the mountain. So, so just so you know, the Lord's face didn't show up and Moses is talking to him like face to face. This is how the Lord spoke to Moses. This is what he means by face to face. It means out of the fire on the mountain. Right When Moses went up on the mountain, there was fire. And God spoke to Moses out of that fire. And Moses was the only one who got that privilege. The rest of them had to hear it from Moses. Well, when they wanted to hear it from God, uh, God was so boisterous in the way he spoke, thundering, and the mountains shook. And the people were like, nope, we'll be happy to hear it from Moses hereafter. Thank you. So, face to face, seeing that, that distinction there, is important, I thought. Now, Abraham, uh, he was said to be a friend of God. And God spoke to Abraham directly about the plan that was the plan to, obviously, for Israel to come. And he told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And later, Abraham tried his best to fulfill that plan, but it didn't happen. God chose Isaac. It was going to be through Sarah and so forth. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and God says, no, it's going to be Jacob, even though Esau has the birthright, but he's the oldest, but it's going to be Jacob, and Jacob's name would then be Israel, and so forth. God laid out the plan of Israel to Abraham. Literally, that's inside information. So, now, of course, like I said, none of them had what we have today. So, we got to wrap this up. So point F, let's keep going. Their friendship was based on God revealing his plan for Israel. That's what it was based on. And they responded with obedience. So did Abraham, we got. In fact, the the scripture in James, uh, which we didn't go to, talks about how Abraham was obedient to God and took Isaac and even was going to sacrifice him to that extent. Abraham was completely obedient to the vision that God had given him and didn't matter even though he loved his son Isaac. So, uh, but that, that is, uh, we didn't go there, but just a note, it's based on God revealing his plan for Israel, and they responded with obedience. So the use of friends, the friendship analogy is not exclusive here. And I, I'm seeing this friendship analogy uh, used in Old Testament. But point G, to note, our friendship is exclusive. The friendship analogy is not exclusive, but our friendship, what we have in this age, is exclusive to this newly revealed eternal purpose of God, not to Israel. The mystery, it was hidden from Israel. And we know that from Ephesians 2, uh, 3, 2 through 4, where it talks about, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace, which was given me. To you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. And you should understand, I will give you insights into this. 
Um, and then there's, you know, the whole verse, all the verses about his eternal purpose, uh, which he uh, accomplished in Christ Jesus. Right? This is exclusive information here. So remember, it's not just, don't, don't forget, it's not just about our uh, hearing and understanding this information. It's about our obedience from love that is required. That, that makes us friends of God in this age that we live in. So hopefully, even though it's a short verse, it did take us a little bit of uh, going through it. Hopefully these are things that we can understand and build, continue to build this context. Let's bow our heads. We'll close. We'll continue with this thought next week. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We do appreciate. We're grateful that you called us from eternity past. And we don't know why, but all we can do is be thankful. And the reciprocation that we can have is to show not only that we understand the plan, but that we love it and we want to be a part of the calling that we have received. Thank you as we live in time. We ask all these blessings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.